1: Good evening, and welcome to Beyond the Gate Radio. Yes, indeed. Tonight, the spirits may be messing with us, or technology, I'm not sure. We got a little late start to the show, but we have made it here. It shows that a higher power power wants us to have the show tonight. So, this is our Sunday, October 13th. Two thousand and thirteen edition of our show. I am your host, David Baker, and Sherelle Baker is our co host. Good evening, Sherelle. How
2: are you? Thank you. I am doing fine. I'm wonderful. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back on the radio and um I'm looking forward to a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. And how are you doing tonight, David?
1: Amazing. Amazing, now that we got through the technical difficulties, I am fine. I'm not one to give up. So, having said that, tonight our guest is Kevin Schopel, author of The Bible, The Truth About Psychics and Spiritual Gifts. And as usual, Sherelle will be handling the switchboard and overseeing the chat room. Later in the show, we will be taking questions from our callers, and also from our chat room. We kindly ask everybody to hold off with the questions until we get to that portion of the show, which will be announced. We will also be giving away two copies of Kevin's book with details coming later. Since the beginning of time, humanity has asked that insatiable question of who are we, why are we here, where did we come from, and what happens to us when we die? What does happen to us when we die? There have been many great thinkers throughout the ages who pondered this question, from academics to theo- theologians, theologians, and to certain chosen individuals, both male and female, who seem to possess spiritual gifts. It is through these gifts that many were able to answer the question about what occurs after death, and they say that there is no real death, but only a transition, as they have actually made contact with the dead, so to speak. These people are called mediums. There have been those who claim to see visions of the future, and they have been called prophets, which we call psychically gifted people. Prophets and mediums still exist today. World-famous mediums, James Van Praag, John Holland, Ellie Cheslick, our friend from Wings of Love Radio, uh, who hosts her, a wonderful show. She has more than one show, and she's been a pro for a long time. And of course, the world famous psychic twins, Terry Lynn and Linda Jameson, who made the amazing and now famous 911 predictions on the uh, Art Barrow Show on Coast to Coast Radio. And the red website is psychictwins.com www.psychotwins.com, And these are but a few examples. Although many belief systems and religions such as Mohammeds, Hindus, Jhanas, Buddhists, Jews, and Christians all talk about a great creator in life after death to certain degrees, tonight we will be talking about what is said in a Christian Bible as regards to spiritual gifts and the words and teachings of Jesus Christ and how this is related to the words of the Bible. Our guest will tie this all together for us with his groundbreaking work, The Bible, the Truth About Psychics and Spiritual Gifts. We are very fortunate tonight because this is the first show that Kevin has been on since the publication of his book. And so this show will hopefully set the tone for his future endeavors. The Bible refers to people who are psychic as prophets. In his new and amazing book, The Bible, The Truth About Psychics and Spiritual Gifts, author, teacher, and researcher, Kevin Schopel has done years of research and has written documented proof that having spiritual gifts, such as being a psychic or medium, is not the work of the devil, but is, in fact, a gift from our Lord and God. Kevin Schumpel has taught the Bible for more than 20 years. He was ordained as a deacon in 1999 and in 2006 was named Adult Education Director of Pima Street Baptist Church in Tucson, Arizona. While in that position, Kevin began writing his own Bible study material for the two classes he taught at his church. His interest in a paranormal begin by dating a psychic as a teenager in 1975. This relationship raised his consciousness of the somewhat lacking social attitudes toward psychics in the 1970s, while at the same time it caused him to re-examine his religious beliefs. He became a Christian in 1988. In the 2000s, due to media interest in the paranormal, Kevin's classes would ask him for biblical answers to their questions about psychic ability, paranormal occurrences, and the afterlife. Meanwhile, as a social as social networks began forming, Kevin began to share the Bible online with mediums and learn about their experiences as well. This led to a friendship between his family and Melanie, a medium in Northwestern Arizona, who had been unjustly bashed for her gift by Bible thumpers all for life. Kevin lives near Tucson, Arizona, with his wife, Stana, and new son, Ryan. Kevin's website, www.bibleforpsychics.com, that's bibleforpsychics.com. If you are listening to the show, on our show page is posted Kevin's bio, and links to purchase his book on Amazon.com, and we also have posted a link to his website. And now we would like to welcome Kevin to our show. Good evening, Kevin, and how are you?
3: I'm doing great, David and Sherelle. I really appreciate this It's an honor to be on the same show that the Psychic Twins and Bishop Wong have been on as well. I thank you for having me here.
1: Our pleasure. You know, your work, yeah. as far as I know, is the first of its kind.
3: And I think it's,
1: as I mentioned earlier, it's a groundbreaking book that I think is going to really take off once once people take notice. And, you know, I think it's going to comfort a lot of people that have been hurt, those, you know, who possess these abilities. The church they love has told them that, you know, this is not right. And anyway... We will be asking uh, some questions about your book, but I want people to buy it and read it for themselves, so we will not try to divulge too much in our interview tonight. You wrote an amazing book, The Bible, The Truth About and Spiritual Gifts. It is a well-written book with lots of research. Can you give the listeners a brief introduction about the theme of your book?
3: Well, they were, the purpose of the book is to let psychically gifted persons and mediums know exactly where they stand with God. As you said before, uh, many of them have been taught to believe that their gifts were of uh, the devil or demons or that they're messing with demons, and yet many of them have told me, you know, I know in my heart that I didn't, you know, do anything evil, I didn't try to conjure up the devil, but yet the church is telling me this, so I'm trying to eliminate that confusion in telling them straight out of the scriptures that have been for 400 years in the English language and have been around and, you know, canonized for over 1,700 years, that this is where you really stand before God. If you didn't have your gift out of engaging in a practice that the Lord has forbidden, when, if you were born with your gift, or the Holy Spirit gave it to you at some point in your life, that gift is from the Lord, and because He's given it to you, He has a purpose for your life using that gift to glorify Him.
1: That's amazing. So is that is there something that prompted you to write this book?
3: Well, it was two or three things. One is that from the time that I... Um, first met my first psychic in 1975 i keep seeing a disparity between what i would call the psychics in the media such as written in the national inquirer that might be on um television and what i was actually experiencing in real life um you know at the time in the 1970s you know uh the girl that i first knew with psychic ability she I asked her if she knew these things. She said, "I don't know. I just know. She never needed a gimmick. She never needed a definitive device. And yet, I would listen into late night talk shows when I was working graveyard shift, and was somebody would ask for the birth date or something of that, And, and for me that didn't that didn't jive up with what I was knowing. And." So, and again, too, I would hear that, okay, people who are doing that are messing with the devil, you need to stay away from that. Well, I was saying, okay, wait a minute. If the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, as we read in Galatians 5.23, that's what I was seeing in every person (laughs) at that point that was psychic. You know, at that point, it was just my wife and... My former girlfriend, I didn't really get to know many more psychics than that until later years, but I wasn't seeing this evil that the church was telling me, and I thought, I need to just look into this myself. Um, I originally, you know, began to wonder, you know, what's the deal here? You know, if these kind of abilities were in Jesus and in the Apostles, well, uh, what made them wrong today? And I began to wonder if maybe I needed to reevaluate my beliefs in that. Um, the second reason I had in writing this was that I wasn't seeing any books in the bookstores I would go to. Um, you know, there's you know places like Barnes and Noble or the used bookstores like Bookmans in Tucson, where I would see factual information on psychic ability and at the same time find a biblical view. The metaphysical books I would read would present Jesus as a prophet, teacher, or psychic, but not as the Son of God who created all things visible and invisible. On the other hand, I would get the Christian books that would present Jesus Christ that way, but would only consider the viewpoint that uh, these are demonic spirits that uh, and you need to stay away from them so um I've got letters in a book like this that exists. But as the book itself came together, David, the third reason came out. And this really started with my wife. In fact, it was a year ago this weekend that she said this. She says, you have no idea how many people you're going to help by writing this book. And she was my biggest encouragement in writing this because she knew what it was like to have to hear this kind of talk and knowing who she was.
1: That's totally amazing no, others in your position might have not supported the wife, may not have been as inquisitive as you are and opened their mind. And somebody would have said, You know, what are you doing looking at this stuff? But there's something higher that has to do with your gift that kept you going on your track. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I want to ask you then. During your time as a Bible teacher, have you observed a change in a church's attitudes toward the supernatural?
3: Uh, Yes, I have, basically. From the time I started teaching in the church in 1992 until 2011 is that um, I began to notice that, you know, when you talked about a supernatural experience, um, one of the things that would always break the ice for Stanley and I was to tell how we got our wedding date, which is a story in its own right. But after they hear that, they say, okay, if my Sunday school teacher is willing to believe in the supernatural interventions, let me tell some of mine, and I would hear the stories from others. Um, there was one Sunday school class that I had in 2009, let me say it that way, in which we had three people who had had near-death experiences, and I asked each one to show their before the class, and I thought, in prior years, I would have been called up by the pastor and asked to resign. But the, the fact was the Southern Baptist wow. Convention allows, if it's in the Bible, you can teach it. And so I knew that as long as they stayed solidly biblical, um, they could not ask me to resign in this position. And I would allow people to elaborate on their stories or how the Lord led them in, by some supernatural sign to do what they did
1: that's amazing. You know, some people have been scratching their heads and maybe gave up, but you have done extensive research in this. Again, we'll touch on that a little bit later, but, and you just kept on going. I mean, so I would like to ask you something else about the religion. Then, uh, are there two different camps in the Christian religion, one that believes in these spiritual gifts and that they come from the Lord. And another group that believes that they are the devil's work and, Why do the latter seem to have such an an inimical attitude towards this subject?
3: Okay. Well, let's start off by saying, first of all, there are actually three camps in this. uh, And the third one was where I was originally as a a kid, my own son's age, was that you just thought it was all a bunch of malarkey and hoax that, uh, okay, this isn't for real. And that's where I was at about age 14. Um, but the, the other two camps, so let me address them for a moment, um, the ones who believe that these spiritual gifts are from the Lord, um, many of them have had a supernatural encounter of their own. And they say, okay, I know that I must serve a God that does miraculous things because I have them in my own life. Um, the belief that it is the devil's work. Um, it's somewhat lost in antiquity, although my wife and I were discussing this question the other night, and, and she said, You know, what you're taught to believe, you tend to think, that, okay, if, if it comes from a pastor, or Sunday school teacher, or some other church leader, well, they must know the Bible better than me, and if they say it's demonic, it must be demonic. But in reality, this goes all the way back to Jesus' time. In John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, uh, the Pharisees said, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And then John Tether said, you know, you know, why listen to him? He has a demon. Jesus himself said, when they were talking about John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he has a devil. And here's another good one for your listeners, if they are ever called demonic for having their gift of psychic or mediumship. In Matthew 10.25, Jesus himself prophesied that you and me and the psychics I know would be called demon-possessed. He said, a student is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which was the term for the prince of demons how much more will they call those who are the members of his household, meaning you and me, whoever follows them. Follows them?
1: That makes sense. Yes, that makes uh, sense. So that brings me to another question. that Why is it that on some Christian websites, they speak about psychics, for example, as being deceived by the devil, as stated in the Bible. Do they not read and understand it well? or Are they using the written word? to their own ends for some reason. Do you have any explanation for that?
3: Yes, I do. And this is all kind of come since I wrote the book. So this is kind of going to be an exclusive to your show here. Because when I wrote in the book, I said, I really don't know, but let me give you the scriptures that I've just given you a ago to show you you're in good company. Well, I prayed to the Lord and I said, isn't there something spiritual that I can use that I can say, This kind of backs up why people who are supposed to know their Bible, supposed to be teaching us, are saying this is the devil's work. And the first of them is John chapter nine verse sixteen. This is where Jesus has healed a blind man. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders. And I should comment at this point: they're not the bad guys. They, at that time, were held in the same esteem as Billy Graham or you know someone that we really highly think of. Well, they asked him how his eyes were healed, and he responded, you know, what what Jesus had done, and they said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, the reality was Jesus was perfect and inerrant. He was the only perfect life to live. He did keep the Sabbath. What he was not keeping was what was called the traditions of the elders for the Sabbath. And there was many times they clashed on this subject, you know, when he would heal on the Sabbath, he would say to them, well, how many of you, if the sheep fell in the pit, would uh, pull him out on the Sabbath? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? And they would be silenced. The second one, That's right. in Acts chapter 3, you've got um, Peter and John who have healed a lame man at the gate of the temple. And when everybody is looking at this man jumping and running around, uh, they look at Peter and John like, uh, you got some sort of healing power. Peter and John immediately say, you know, why do you look at us as if by our own power that we will heal this man? Jesus, who you crucified, has healed him. What, is, what I say by that is that the Christians of today have turned that around, and there's some that in every instance, if you don't immediately say that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ's power did this, then your ability must not come from the Lord. While I'm a big advocate, and you may have read that, of giving credit where credit is due, you know, it does not mean that if every single time you use your abilities and you don't immediately give God the credit, does not mean that your ability doesn't come from God. And in the case of the future predictions you've seen, how is a person... Going to give a future prediction, we don't know if it's come true yet or not, for them to immediately give God the glory when we can't see the end, end result of the prediction. I believe that. Okay, uh, to go on here a little bit more, David, if I'm not tying your ear out. No, go right ahead.
2: No. John
3: chapter 7, near the end of it, in verses 45 to 52, the temple police have come back to the Pharisees. They they've been given orders to arrest Jesus. And they said, Why didn't you bring them in? And they said, Well, no man has ever spoke like this before, being the wisdom and the authority with which Jesus taught by. And they said, Do you take any of us have believed him? No, none of the Pharisees have believed him, but this ignorant mob knows nothing. So they're asserting the authority of their position and saying, we know better than you. We think this crowd's a bunch of ignorant, perhaps illiterate people, and they're the ones who believe in them, not not us intelligent people. Um, And in fact, they actually lie in this, because they tell Nicodemus, if you look in your scriptures, no prophet comes from Galilee. Well, that was wrong, because Jonah, the prophet, had come from Gathapha, which was in Galilee. But they again, we Better, but these people would not look that fact up. Um, Mark nine thirty eight again, you have an instance of Jesus' disciples trying to stop a man from casting out demons because he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Because Jesus' answer was, don't stop him, because anyone who does a miracle in my name is not going to say anything bad. The reason I throw this in is because you have people saying, you have no business doing what you're doing with supernatural abilities if you are not a member and standing of the Christian church. And, again, you you can see the ludicrousness of that. You know, um, some of your your best guests, uh, Terry and Linda, I know, are practicing Buddhists. And somebody would try to jump to that crazy conclusion, but in reality, in their book, psychic intelligence, they said that they – sought out answers to their abilities, and at that time Buddhism was answering that. So there's no way you can turn that around and say that their gift is not of the Lord. Um, the fifth one, in First Corinthians 13, through 10 is saying that if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will pass away for we know in part prophesying part but when the perfect comes, a partial will be done away. The problem with that is that a lot of people took that scripture and said, okay, when the perfect comes, that must mean the canonized Bible. Well, the problem is if that is true, that spiritual gifts were done away with when we finally have a canonized Bible, then you've got a Bible that's not perfect, and they're calling it perfect. So the logic is not there. These gifts can't have been done away with yet and will not be done away with yet. The, I, I don't
1: believe that. They're permanent.
3: Correct. They they are a permanent gift, and at the same time, too, Scripture says in Romans eleven twenty nine, you know, God's calling and his gifts are irrevocable. Once he gives you a gift, he's given you calling with it, and those are not going to be done away with. God will not change his mind.
0: The final one
3: um, is something I dealt with in the book, and I won't touch into it big, but it's the idea with a medium, and you probably encountered this yourself, that somebody says, okay, if my loved ones are either in heaven or hell right now, then who are you communicating with? And I totally debunked this in the book.
1: That's right. You certainly did. You did an amazing job. And what I was also amazed about from your book is the brilliant method of research you did. For example, comparing the current version of the Bible with a much older one and looked up certain terms also in an older dictionary. Could you touch on that, if you don't mind?
3: No, I don't mind at all. Well, every version of the Bible I've seen except the King James Version, of course I'm not saying this is extensive, there's probably lots of versions I've never even seen, But the King James Version was the one who called the, you know, let me first back up here. There are five verses that I address right on the first page of the first chapter is what I used to call the anti-medium verses. It's Leviticus 19.31, Leviticus 26, Leviticus 20.27, Deuteronomy 18.10, and Isaiah 8.19, in which they warn people to not turn to mediums. And the King James Version instead uses the term, do not turn to them that have familiar spirits or are wizards. So I thought, this man's is looking up. And, of course, the reason for the older dictionaries, one, simply that these older dictionaries are public domain and I didn't have to get permission from Merriam-Webster. But at the same time, they were much closer to the original choice of the words that the translators would have used in the time of King James the First. And the definition of familiar spirits is a spirit that attends at a call. And that means that the spirit communication is going from the person to the spirit. That if the person didn't call the spirit, nothing would be happening and I'm sure that you're aware in your time of being a medium is that the spirits have contacted you. Sometimes you don't have control over what spirit will come or will not come um, to you. You may be somebody totally different. They may have a different message. They may have a message for somebody else close to you, but you don't have that, say, I'm going to contact um I say Sherelle's grandfather, and I'm not going to talk to any other spirits right. except his grandfather. Well, that is the idea of somebody who has a familiar spirit. That the Bible wars us of.
1: Yes, that makes sense, and yes, I have been right. contacted many times. <laughs> so Cheryl, well, so that's amazing. You know, I wasn't. You did mention one Corinthians, and you know, spiritual gifts to me can be a number of things besides gifts we just discussed, like the gift of healing, the gift of being a great teacher, and much more. You have this in your book, and I have a passage about from the Bible in my book, The Spirit Garden Medium's Journey, about spiritual gifts, which was published back in 2007. Uh, But you wrote an entire book about it. I just touched on it. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about spiritual gifts as written in the Bible in 1 Corinthians. For example, my version of the Bible might be different than yours, but... Basically, what it says is that you know, God has given uh, a gift to each and every one of us, and to each and every one of us, he's given a spiritual gift. To one, he has given the gift to prophecy, to another, to speak in foreign languages, to another, to be a great teacher, and so forth and so on. Uh, can you shed any light on that?
3: Yes. First of all, First Corinthians 12 is not the only list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Uh, you will also find listings of them in Romans chapter 12, also in Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> and between those three lists, and eliminating duplications, there's 19 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. Then if you go back to the Old Testament, there's 12 more scattered amongst the 39 books of the Old Testament. One is even as simple as saying, to enjoy your work. This is a gift from God in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Um, only about ten out of these thirty-one listed gifts have a supernatural appearance to them. But uh, The list doesn't end with thirty-one simply because Jesus said in John 14:12, "Whoever believes in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do greater things than these, because I go to the Father." So you take anything. For example, one of the gifts that Stana has is counseling and you say, well, wait a minute, counseling isn't listed there, but then when you go to Isaiah 9-6, Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father of the Prince yes. of Peace. So one of his roles was counseling, and, and the reason I even noticed this in my wife is because she has an ability to just make you feel like you're an old friend that you can open up, you could tell her anything, and she's been there for so many people. I see this gift now even in my son, right now, who's trapped teens out of suicide. Wow. wow. Amazing.
1: That
2: is amazing. That's amazing.
1: Now, uh, before I ask you the next next question, there was a discussion some time ago and somebody was talking about, you know, a medium's ability. And I simply explained to him that it's not me. I'm human just like you are. And when I go to work with the ability... I'm not getting this from my brain or from my radar. I'm getting this from a higher source. You know what I mean? From our creator. Absolutely. And I tell them, yeah. without that, I wouldn't be able to do anything. And that's just what you were explaining. That's where the, it comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from God. You know, it doesn't come from uh, the neighbors down the street. It doesn't come from any devices I have, my brain or anything. I just channel that information from the higher power so i totally agree with you know what you said about that now you seem to use the bible only in terms of uh, religious texts and quite a bit of it in your
3: book why is that well again there's there's three big reasons now i when i was at Taylor street we had a sunday evening discipleship class i spent about 4 months on a 12 part series on the validity, the origins of the Bible, but I wanted to keep it short for the book. and I divided it to three parts here. One is that I took two public domain sources from over 100 years ago which challenged the divine authorship of the Bible. These people were answering it and were saying that the two authors I picked, um, John York was one, I can't remember the other, but the idea was that they both arrived at the same conclusion by different means that there was one mind behind the 40 or so authors that ranged from Moses to John the Apostle over the 2100 years that the Bible was written, that they all had, this, had a continuous theme and, and a harmonious agreement in their writings that you would not find if you took people from various cultures, you had people who were kings like David, you had governors like Nehemiah, you had shepherds like Amos, and you take them from different times and cultures. Daniel was second in command in Babylon. uh, And these people, despite their times and cultures, are all harmonious in the work of the Bible. And he says, this validates that there's a mind behind all of this that is guiding the writing. And I don't have to say without trying to sound like a big shot here, I got the idea in writing my own book what these people must have felt like. The second thing, um, which there's a list of, is the ways that the Bible has far superseded in its textual accuracy, its uh, preservation, and other things that has far outstripped other contemporary books of two millenniums ago. Um, and then finally, I introduced the idea that the, the Bible is the only one of the holy texts that has prophecy in it, that prophecy has come true, and to take an example outside of scripture, I refer to the restoration of the nation of Israel, otherwise one could say that you write something in the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the New, you know, big deal, but you challenge the reader, I used a device in which I said, okay, enter the word prophecy into any word search and put negative Bible. And I said, you might get hits like the Celestine Prophecy, but you're not going to get a valid holy book as a hit in there. And, and I laughed at that for the reader. I, <clears throat> Somebody wants to be hardcore in their belief against the Bible. I have no other alternative except to say that I'll pray for you, that the Holy
1: Spirit show you that difference. That's that's a very good reason right there, and I cannot find another. that, And that's totally true. So, here's something interesting. I see you have a chapter in the book called Most Important of All. And I'd like to know why you called that and what prompted you to
3: include it. Well, the reality was... <clears throat> I thought, if I'm going to write a book, I want to make sure that no one gets the mistaken idea that just because we have a spiritual gift, that God made us with that spiritual gift, that we automatically have a ticket to the kingdom of heaven, because all of us, regardless of our gifts, we still need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and what we call repenting, which is a changing of our thoughts, getting a new heart, new mind, and new spirit through Him. Because there's a point in Matthew chapter seven where He says, "Many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not heal? Did we not cast out demons in Your name?" And He, <coughs> pardon me, it's clear my throat. And He says, "I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from Me." And so I don't want somebody to be there at this judgment and say, you know, I used my gift for your glory. Why are you telling me, depart from me? And then look at me, Kevin, did I miss something in your book? Why am I now being sent off into a lake of fire? So I wanted to make sure that whoever reads that book knows that they must have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to be entering into the kingdom of heaven and to address the mistaken beliefs that good outweighs the bad or the loving God would send no one to hell and the reasonings behind this. Then I go on to a 15th chapter after that to explain a little about heaven, but I want to make sure before anybody gets to the point that they understand that is there, that I can stand before the Lord someday and say, Heavenly Father, I made sure that everyone who read this book around the country, around the world, got your message of what you did for them on that cross, which you shed your blood and you paid for every little last thing we did because of the loving God that you truly
0: are.
1: Well, you certainly set it up just right so we can go from beginning to end. I mean, it's just amazing the work you've done on the book and in it you share stories from your personal life also. So, May I ask, what purpose do these stories have in getting across the message of this book?
3: Well, first of all, the the chapter says love makes the difference. Um, As you've heard me say earlier in the show, the first two psychics I knew was my first girlfriend and my wife. Well, this is also the same reason. I'm addressing it to the reader. Why did I have a different viewpoint them what they're hearing from the church. If I'm a Christian that was raised um, in the church, you know, went to church all my life, why is it I don't have the same viewpoint of psychics and mediums or fooling with the devil? Well, first of all is that, you know, I take the reader through a scenario in the, in the first chapter, first half of the third chapter, I meant to say, in which... I say, okay, imagine you've got a loved one, a relative, someone that's really, you just love them, you adore them. They just happen to have this little way of knowing things about you. And the next thing you hear that somebody's saying, oh, I heard those people are messing with the devil. You feel uh something in you that says no. Whether you get angry, whether you not. Something in you is going to say no, that, that's not true. Well, in my case, it it happened. You know, I've got a a girlfriend I was really in love with, and I'm asking two youth leaders in the same church, what do you think of someone who knows something that's going to happen before it happens? And they're answering me, you know, "Um, that doesn't sound like it's of God. I'd stay away from that. Well, try telling a 17-year-old, you know, stay away from your girlfriend because she's demonic. Well, the first thing you're going to do in your own heart and mind is you're going to set out to find the truth. You're, you, right. you're going to reject it, first of all. But you're going to, at that time, say, okay, why are they telling me this? Am I in, is is the church wrong? Is the Bible wrong? What's wrong here? So I, mm-hmm. I give the person um, in Chapter 4 kind of a 35-year journey from 1975 to 2010 to show the evolution research. Uh, I heard Josh McDowell, the author author of Evidence Which Demands a Verdict. It's a classic of apologetics. Uh, I got to hear him speak when I was 18, and that was the thing that turned my thinking around. I said, the Bible might be correct. Let me look into this. And once I had the firm foundations of the Bible, that's where I went on to the rest of my beliefs, which culminated in writing this book. So I wanted to let the reader know why I wrote it. Um, the other, uh, account that I give, which is, again, a 20-year span, was from the time that my father passed away in 1992 to the year 2012, in which I went through the pain of knowing I was disinherited, but my father never really telling me why, and me taking stabs at it, at the same time. Hearing the story of Esau and Jacob in the Bible and how they each sought their father's blessing just sent me into more of a depression. I even get to the point where I tell that I basically threw away a study book because I was told in John eight forty seven he who does not hear from God does not belong to God with no further explanation. And I just about hit a spiritual bottom by nineteen ninety seven. But that, you know, once I had another pastor that straightened out my problems with the Bible, along came Melanie in 2012 and basically was able to relay a message from my dad, which cleared up so much. I didn't have any idea how much mental healing, just knowing that he was proud of me for what I was doing, could make such a difference in even unrelated issues of adult life.
2: Wow.
1: Yes, it's my belief that when you die and go up into spirit, that it doesn't necessarily make you this great master teacher, but it does uh, give you a better perspective on the life that you've lived and the people that you love, no matter what's happened down here. Deep in their heart, they know And uh, I suppose that he came to the realization that he wasn't really trying to harm you in any way. He, He did what he had to do and you did what you had to do. But in his heart, he wanted to tell you that he does indeed love you and that he is indeed proud of you. And I have not heard of any messages in thousands of readings that I've done, Connection with Spirit anything negative from them at all. So I, I, that sounds like an amazing healing that you had. And uh, as far as experiences now, you've told me about questions and research in the Bible. You have actually had something that really, I don't want to give away the book or anything like that, whatever you can tell me, but your uh, friend, Melanie, Apparently you had some experiences with her which shocked you.
3: <laughs> okay, I I don't think there was any that were particularly shocking, but this, this one instance with my father which I've described was a major healing process for me. Um, and it really taught me that this is the value of true mediumship. I would say that the things I have observed, and I've videoed a couple of her group readings, it was she's been very accurate. You know, it's like you were saying about your own mediumship, David, is that you get what you're given. And in reality, John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, a man can only get what is given him from heaven. And that's, you know, is very true. Um, Melanie will pass on some things that do not resonate with anybody, but when she passes on a piece of information that really resonates, I recently saw her in Coolidge, Arizona, uh, give some very specific information regarding, um, the brother in law of our host and a business associate of his. And his first question was, Who told her? Well, I knew no one had because i have been with Melanie since practically time she'd arrived in Coolidge. And nobody was slipping notes to her. She, but, but her information was so accurate that I would say it really turned his belief system around with Melanie. I, I would probably call that the most shocking. And it wasn't really me who got shocked.
1: Well, that's good. Now I have a medium friend, Charles Filius. he's who's also a comic. He was telling me that somebody said, you know, you had to look up information on the people in the audience that you're reading because you could have known that information. And he said that, yeah, I'm a multi-billionaire, and I was able to uh, dig up research on everybody in the U.S. with the hopes that some of them would come here. And I have a, an amazing memory that when I see them by name, I can just give them a reading like impossible, which is funny. But, you know, I, I'm, a medium, and, uh, I'm a medium and I'm a medium and a psychic and my wife Cheryl is also. And I understand that your wife, Stana, is psychically gifted. So what is it like Pete, married to a psychic and is she also a medium?
3: No, Stana's not a medium. Melanie was the first medium I had met. And one of the First things that I had really noticed is that you know sometimes I feel a little bit like you know I, I, I'm at a disadvantage that I don't sense some of the things that um, that Santa does and you know this happens. You know, I have always had the guard up for being scammed when I've got somebody that's looking for handouts. Say I'm I'm broke and cold. Can you spare a few dollars? Um, and a lot of times I rely upon Stan's decision, yes or no, to see if she really senses that they're completely on the level. I want help, but I don't want to be scammed. Um, I will tell you this. She was one that actually is responsible for helping me discover my gift of teaching, spiritual gift of teaching, because when I threw out that study book, that I mentioned earlier, I went home, and I told her, I said, I don't hear from God. It's just, are you expecting to hear an actual voice? I said, well, yeah. I said, I thought everybody does. Well, she had told me, she said, you know the times that you have had something come to your mind, and it's not from something you heard, it's not from something you saw, and it wasn't from something you were thinking of previously that led into it. She says, that's the Lord speaking to you. And I realized Strangely enough, then, that, that one of the verses in First Kings where Elijah was running from Ahab, they said they he heard a small, still voice. Well, a voice that is still isn't speaking. And so I said, Stan is right. It is yes. something that is not going to come through the mouth nor the ears. It's going to be heard in your mind in John fourteen twenty six, where Jesus says, to Spirit, the Counselor, I will send you. You will remind you of everything I told you." And I, this is absolutely right. She, she, she answered it, and I began to pay attention to these thoughts that did not have a lead in, and realized my wife correct about this.
1: You know what? That's awesome. You know, you both are amazing people, and I know I didn't plan this for the show, but would you mind putting your lovely wife, Stana, on for a moment so I could just ask her a couple of questions? Would she be all right with that?
3: let me find out. Uh, I'm in another room. Um, hold hold on, on a second here. Give me a moment. Stana, David, would like to have you come on the show.
1: I think her mouth just dropped. I don't want to put her on the spot or anything, so I'll be easier on her. <laughs>
2: okay. I know that feeling. Tell I know that feeling.
1: Hello, Stanna.
2: Hi, hi, Stanna. Yes. This is Sherelle. How are you?
1: <laughs> and this is David. Welcome to Beyond the Gate. I hope we're not putting you on the spot here. We're, we're not going to do anything to put you in the corner. I just want to let you know that. Okay. His, you know, Your husband has an amazing wife. To support him the way you did, and vice versa, he's an amazing husband to support your work. How do you do? You feel validated now through all the work that he's done, that you can finally go. Well, I can do what I can do without feeling guilty. How do you feel about that?
0: Yes, um, I I feel relieved you know, in a lot of ways because. You know, for a long time, I mean, I I even, you know, had felt a little shunned, you know, from, you know, distant family and, you know, a lot of friends. And now I can say, you know, that the Lord, you know, has a place for me, a purpose for me. And I will be there, you know, for Kevin, supporting Kevin, supporting anybody else. That may need, you know, that
1: you know, reassurance. That's good. I'm glad that that's worked out that way. Now, you know, on a lighter tone, being married to a psychic, you know, Sherelle and I are both psychic, and we have a hard time sometimes hiding things from each other. Have you ever like hidden a birthday present or Christmas present under the bed, hoping that he won't? I mean, has he ever done it for you, hoping that you won't know about it, and suddenly you pick up on it and you go, aha, look what I found? Has anything like that ever happened?
0: Um, A couple of times. <laughs>
1: yeah, I knew it. There's no secrets in that family, is there?
0: <laughs> or, you know, we, you know, we may be you know, just you know, riding in the car, and I'll say, no, I don't think so, or... or you know what? What do you mean? And you'll know, he'll, you'll he'll say, huh? What was what that, honey? And I'll say, you you just said, you know, such and such, and or thought it, and he'd say, how did you know? <laughs> and I love that. I should have known. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that happens with us, and we usually just go
0: psychic.
1: <laughs> so that's. <laughs> That's amazing, and you you had the gift for as long as you can remember. Do you have any idea when you started to say, wait a minute, there's something going on here, you know, something different about me. Is there a point in your life where you came to that realization that, you know, perhaps you can see stuff and maybe you thought it was normal or you didn't? Is there a, divining, a defining point in your life when you kind of discovered that?
0: Well, my my mother... She, when she was really young, you know, she would be, you know, just sitting outside playing, and she said that, you know, she herself would feel the urge to go over across the street and get the lady's mail and walk it to the front door, you know, to hand it to her. The woman, you know, couldn't, you know, walk that well. And the woman would say, you know, I was just looking out the window wishing that, Esther would bring the the mail to me and she would just stand up and walk over and get it. And so I know that, you know, it's wow. inherited, you know, from you know my mom. And yeah, you know, every once in a while I know that you know, her and I both, you know, we will call, you know, one being troubled, you know, the other, you know, feeling afraid or, or bothered about something and just have that urge you need to call and so I feel that it's kind of been passed on a little bit yeah
1: I'll say it. normally it runs in families and sometimes it skips some people but normally in both of our families and especially in mine with both parents it goes back and with Sherelle's as well well thank you very much for coming on and being brave and talking to us and You know, you're just amazing. Both you and your husband are amazing people, and thank you so much for talking with us tonight.
0: Okay, thank you, you, and I'll see you someday.
1: Yeah, I hope so, too. God bless. Yes, God bless.
0: God
2: bless. I think that was awesome, um, David, because I think what happens, too, is that, you know, a lot of times when you're talking to someone and, you know, you hear about it all the time, but you don't really actually say it, But behind, you know, so many great people, they have a great connection or support system. And I think that's true. You know, a lot of people don't know that, yes, that I have the gift, too, but I am a support to you. Just like Stan is a support to Kevin, I am more of a support to you than trying to branch out and do all these other things. It's like pulling from the major pot to get there. And I also like what Kevin said about, you know, once um, once God gives you a gift, it's not something that you, you know, that you could, you, he doesn't take it back. It's like, oh, okay, you, you're, you know, just take it back. And I know that because with you, how you grew up and you were trying to you know you know when you went to the military and everything, you just kind of set it aside and even when you were little that you you know your friends would come out of the closet and you would play and even though no one else could see them, you could and then later on in life you you tried to you know just drop that and do some other things, but it kept coming back to you, and it was like that tap on the shoulder, that reminder that hey, you know you have these abilities. But it's just like a muscle that if you don't develop it, you don't, you know, it just lays by the wayside, but you still have it. You still have it.
3: That's
1: totally true, and I agree. And I uh, wanted to do something for Kevin on here briefly. And as you know, we support all light workers, so to speak, that pretty much covers people that are trying to do things to help others, and especially some that are gifted. Kevin was at the... Um, Sedona Psychic Fair, isn't that right, Kevin?
3: I was at the Sedona Psychic Fair last week, correct.
1: And uh, on one occasion, you met uh, Barbie Edwards and her associate, Reverend Jamie, and they were ones who had healing harps, and they gave you uh, healing of some type. And let me just throw out their website real quick in case anybody wants to check up on them. It's www.therapyharps.com. That's therapyharps.com. And if you'd like to contact them, their number is 928-592-2443. Kevin, could you tell us a little bit about that experience before we go on?
3: It was very brief because, again, um, when I was a sample of it, I didn't have the the funds for a complete... uh, treatments such as, you know, you you would pay for a Reiki treatment or whatever. And so, but but she, but Reverend Jamie basically was able to take the harp around different parts of my body and I could feel it practically go through my body, a feeling of relaxation. Um, She also played the auto harp, or actually both of them played the auto harp at the very beginning of the psychic fair, so you could close your eyes and it could almost take you away. Uh, It's it's a beautiful sound I was so intrigued by it That uh, after they had Expressed such an interest in my book I went back to them With a copy I said would you like to trade I'd love to have a CD of this music It's beautiful It really takes me away It helps me meditate, relax And they said I'd love a copy of that book So we traded And I autographed it right there for them
1: That's amazing No, I've done that with others as well, and I think that's just great. You know, it just makes you realize that there's other people out there that can use different methods to make a person feel better, you know. So that's just amazing, and thank you for telling us about that. Now, before I ask you, to ask us questions, which you said you wanted to ask a few questions about, which is no problem. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the subject of your book and what we were discussing tonight?
3: Well, one of the things I didn't really complete in saying on spiritual gifts is that if you have one of those non-supernatural gifts, and I count myself in that, you know, is it doesn't look like something you could do without some miraculous intervention, um, the idea is that you still will have a gift. You'll realize that it it's something that you know you can't do in your own strength, but to the outsiders, they say, oh, teaching? So what? Anybody can go and learn how to be a teacher. But you realize that it has that spark of the spirit in it. In other words, when you complete the Sermon on the mountain in Matthew chapter 7, it said, that they were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes had done. And I had a couple who were quite elderly in their upper 70s in my Sunday school class. They said, we've been to Sunday school all of our life, but when we come into your class, you actually, we actually learn something. And the only thing I said was, I said, you know why? I said, it's the Holy Spirit teaching this lesson. I can't claim the credit for it. I said, and sometimes others in the class will be spirit inspired. I, I had a person that was 41 years old and read on a first grade level, and yet he would give us some answers that we knew was correct from the scriptures, but the meanings were hidden from me and other members and just amazed me. Like, um, an example I can give from that, it says that they, in First Corinthians chapter 2, this uh spiritual man is judged uh the spiritual man judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one and I was kind of puzzled at that verse and this person his, his name was Elbus, even though it's not Presley like, <laughs> yeah, he said well <laughs> he, he says God judges people, but we judge things. We all sat around the room and said, he's right, we just knew it." And it's only you know, no person has a grab on the Holy Spirit or say, I have it and you don't. We all use our gifts as the spirit of spirit. Just like I said, Barbie Edwards, the, the healing arms, that's her gifts. Mine is teaching. Melanie's and yours is mediumship. Stannis is psychic. Uh and was a different kind of psychic than the you know type that my first girlfriend had, which was precognition. You know, Santa is not precognitive, except on the gift of death, but her, she's had a gift of empathy and a care for them. But they were all nevertheless needed and valuable gifts and that we all need to enrich each other with those gifts.
1: I certainly agree, no doubt. And that's just the way it works. And all that information has been amazing now. Did you have some questions for Sherelle and me or well, one of my favorite it? ones
3: is is and I've only gotten uh about a little past halfway in your book, but how did you discover Sherelle's gifts?
1: Well, uh, <laughs> we you know, you have the gift, right? But I felt that if I had my gift not talk about her's, About my gift. Yes. And, you know, if I want to help people and give them a reading, I don't know how to do that. What am I going to do? What's the right way to do it? How am I going to make sure I'm doing it properly? Uh, What's the etiquette and protocols for doing it? Um, You know, it's not that I can't do it. It's just that I want to know how to do it. So... I wouldn't hurt somebody, so I wouldn't get the wrong spirit or mess it all up. So I decided to take some courses from other mediums to, you know, that's organized, so that when I went through the course, I said, okay, now I know how to give a reading and do it correctly. Sherelle came with me on those courses, and that's when I discovered, wow, you have amazing gifts too. In fact, we uh, one of the courses we took was with uh, Doreen Virtue, the angel lady. It was a very small class, and we took it in Kona. And at the last day, to be tested, everybody had to stand up and give a reading. And nobody was allowed to say anything, except yes or no, I'm not sure, whatever. And you had to do the reading, and you had to meet a certain criteria to prove that it was who you are talking to, like name of the person, how they died, and some fact that you know there's no way you could have possibly known or guessed at, or whatever. Sherelle uh, got a name of somebody and uh, she was the only one that read Doreen Virtue that day of that group and Doreen raised her hand she got up and it was a person that Doreen Virtue said that in all my years nobody has ever brought the spirit to. Sherelle had no idea it's not published anywhere she never spoke about it and she gave such an amazing reading with details that she actually brought her to tears and that's when I said, "Holy cow, my wife is good." And uh, so later on, people say, "Hey, I want a reading from your wife on an No, she doesn't want to do readings. Why not? She has the gift. And we surmised that after time, that I was the one that's wanting to do all this, not her. and why does she have the gift? Perhaps is because she went through all that to understand it, to take away the fears. And now she realizes what I'm doing, so she has all that only to support me. At least that's the way she feels. So that's what we concluded from that.
3: Well, I think it's amazing, and what you're telling me is that she recognized her calling. She used her gift. And, of course, you know, you, you read in my book that we all have a responsibility to use our gifts. And even though, you know, it may be man's way of saying, okay, you use your gift through reading, Well, not necessarily true. Stana typically does not do readings herself, but that's support. My wife was able to see me through every part of this book and give me the viewpoint of a psychic who's hearing it instead of being the teacher who's writing it. So she's had that same kind of a role that Shirella said with you, which I'm so glad to hear that. It's like almost one more thing in common.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Something else I read something else I read in your book that I went whew, you're like, Wow, so are you baptized? Yes, you know, are we baptized? Yes, do we have to were we born with the gift, both of us, yes, and you know some people get fragments of it or they brush it aside, well, they have a fear for it, but you know so why why are you using your gift now, not when you're younger? Well, could have been the stigma put on it, you could have you know, hidden from it or what people, how they would judge you about it or maybe you just weren't interested in using it, even though you've had these experiences, until a certain point in your life where perhaps you need to go through a certain amount of experiences and then you can go ahead and use the gift. Some people start it from childhood and do what they do and some people do it later in life. Mine is not just, you know, doing the mediumship and the psychic gifts, but I also, you know, I've done healing before, and other things, and I, I teach, I'm an advisor in this field, but um, I can't do everything, so I just stick to being an advisor in this field, and mostly mediumship, and yes, I do a lot of psychic work, but that's pretty much what I like to do.
3: That amazing. That, that's amazing. Um, of course, I realize you were with the sheriff's department, and have you ever used any of the mediumship gifts or psychic ability of it in any of that work? Uh, I realize the time was mostly with the jail system. Right. I was.
1: Yes. Uh, yes, I have, but at the time my book wasn't published, so in some investigative work, I was able to get more to the story than what was told to us and find out if people were lying or not. That that way it helped. And there was a lot of skeptical, you know, people in that department, you know, but I was telling them, well, why do you always tell us in class that you knew this person ran into that house and that he was hiding in the back? How did you know? Oh, it was my gut instinct, a feeling. I said, Hello, you know psychic ability, <laughs> but it wasn't until after my book was published that uh, a lot of deputies want to uh, read it because they want to see if they were mentioned in the book because of a lot of the experiences with ghosts we had in the jail. And this one deputy that was hardcore skeptic, oh, uh, I said Did you hear that? Oh, it's just probably pipes. Look, the water came on over there. Oh, it's just turned on by itself. You know, so after he read the book. One day, where the other deputies were not present, he pulled me aside so nobody would see him questioning me. Quick, who's with me in spirit? I gave him an amazing reading, brought tears to his eyes. From then on, he was not a skeptic anymore. So, you know, a lot of people kind of opened up to it, and they really didn't tease me or anything. And, you know, And then I retired, of course. But I'm glad I left something with those people when I left.
2: One other thing I, I would agree with too, that. That's... Well, I'm sorry, Kevin. One other thing that that you that you said too, and uh, David, I want to mention it to you that you both know that when someone has a personal experience, that's when everything changes. And you said that earlier, Kevin. Unless they have you know, a personal experience, that's when their eyes are open and it seems like the scales fall from their eyes and they realize since it happened to them and it was something that was personal, that's when they're able to open up their mind and open up their eyes to what what really happened.
3: I agree with that. And and again, too, this ties in so much, you know, you can have a hardcore skeptic or you can have a person like me that, grew up thinking that it was all a bunch of malarkey and scams until, you know, it is a personal experience what happened with Cammy and I, you know, at age 15, or her 15 and me 17 on Mount Lemon, and I knew that there's no way that could be rigged up. I've often said to my Sunday school class, when you have a miraculous occurrence, there's two things. One, everything must fit the facts. In other words, you can't You know, explain something and ignore the facts. The second thing is to ask yourself just how reasonable would any non-supernatural explanation of what happened be? And I used the example there. I said, you know, I could not have imagined Tammy going to both football teams and saying, can you rig it up so you both have a tie? I've got a boyfriend that I need to convince him I'm psychic. You know, that's completely ridiculous.
0: Um, um, but,
3: yeah, those personal experiences, when you know, the more you can trust the person and you know that, that they're on the level with you, and this is, again, my wife is the one psychic that I will put my whole heart of trust in. If she says, um, don't do this or don't do that and can explain it to me, I will I will put my trust you steal this impressions questions and say I better back up and take a look at the situation. She's not warning me for nothing. That's I
1: agree. That's good common sense. And you know, as far as personal experiences go, I've had somebody ask me one time when we were in a discussion and it came up to me seeing ghosts in certain areas, you know, around the world where I've been in the military and other places. And they said, Oh, you must be delusional you know, there's no way, there's no such thing, blah, 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 you know, you can't, nobody can see ghosts. I tell them, look, I, you know, I don't try to fight anymore. If somebody makes a comment, I just let it go, and then they have no, nothing to respond to. It's, I really don't care, but back then, I said, I was in the military, I had, uh, I was physically fit, I had to pass through a very stringent medical, you know, test. I had Um, psychological test I had to go through and I had a stringent FBI background check, more than one I was tested and everything and I eventually achieved rank and a top secret clearance and do you think somebody would put me right next to uh, a nuclear bomb in my responsibility if I was nuts? Then I said to them, after I got out of the military I was in the sheriff's department again psychological tests, and a very difficult test to pass again to the department, a series of other tests, physically fit, mentally fit psychological tests, FBI background check, and lie detector test, and all that. So, do you think that I'm delusional if I was able to pass all that stuff with flying colors, and the guy just didn't know how to answer? So, you know, I'm a normal person. This stuff is real, and I'm not going to pull the hopes on somebody for 63 years, you know, what's the point? It's real, and that's it. I don't care if anybody believes me, but apparently with this paranormal stuff being popular in the mainstream media on TV and movies now, I guess it's making people more aware of it.
3: Well, I listened twice to your broadcast of Bishop James Long, and I like the seriousness with which he addressed it, that there's too many people that they watch a ghost hunting or ghost busting show and think they could just go out there and go off half caught. Uh, I thought he took some very good reasons in there saying, you know, you need training, you need to understand some things before you go into a situation like that. And in Acts chapter 19, you've got these um, seven sons of a Jewish priest who had already maligned Paul's teachings in the Elopagus. And then they say they're going to go out there to this demon-possessed guy and say, uh, I adjure you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, well, he says, well, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you, and he leaps on him and beats him. <laughs> so yeah, um, you don't go off half-cocked, I agree. you know. And, and with me, of course, now it's been 38 years this week since I first met Tammy and had that discussion on Mount Lemon. And I've been through so much and seen so much that, you know, there's no way anyone's going to convince me this stuff is not real as well.
1: I agree. And not to get off subject too much, but I know that there's some differences uh, in how things are interpreted or changes made throughout some of the Christian religions like yours and a Roman Catholic where they believed that, you know, Jesus was able to cast out demons, and he gave his disciples power to do that, or any other human that's you know does it in Christ's name to do the same. Until about 1640, when they wrote the Roman Catholic ritual, rite of ritual, and they made some changes. I think the Catholic Church was trying to be cautious, or they wanted exclusive, exclusively for them, and then they could only be conducted. With the permission of a bishop And uh, some churches say that uh, Somebody important in the church could give uh, Somebody that's not uh, a deacon, a priest, or a preacher Permission to do that too uh, By saying certain prayers But not an exorcism So I'm thinking that You know, I don't know a whole lot about that But what you said in your book pretty much answered all my questions about in that area in that respect. So I just wanna let you know that your book cleared up a lot of questions even I had. I could never do a book like you did. It's just amazing. Your your knowledge is vast on that and I'm really impressed.
3: This is where David again I have to give credit to the record is to to the Spirit of the Lord. Um I paid a lot of attention, like you heard me say earlier, to the thoughts that come into my mind, uh, which Stan had trained me to do. And a lot of times, even when my mind wasn't on it, might have been on accounting at work or something, and if something came in my mind, I'd put it on a Post-it note, and I would take that Post-it note, transfer it to my wallet, take it home, and stick it by my laptop, and I'd begin to write. This even went before the days of the book, when it was time to prepare a lesson for my classes, but the Lord's Spirit guided all of that. I believe he put every thought in my head for the lessons. I believe that he put every thought when it came to the book. And when you say this is amazing, nobody could write something like this. Well, the Spirit of the Lord wrote it. He just You, you have to have a human name like Kevin Schopel on the cover. But I give credit to the Spirit of the Lord for, for doing that. It, it was his work. He did it. Uh, again, I'm not trying to say I'm a big shot at channels the Spirit of the Lord, but I do believe that he put the thoughts, he put what he wanted written in that book, and that's why it's come out the way that you see it, David.
1: Yes, that's totally true. You, know, you, you channeled the information, and I'm not calling you somebody who sat down and opened up and let you, you know your body be possessed or anything like that. It's merely being up. Uh, Asking the higher power for help And being open to it That you shall receive this information And the term I use generally is Channeling Like When I'm getting something I'm channeling information from spirit And I'm not It's not coming from my brain It's coming from a higher source Because I always work in our creator's name Always And um, I just can't You know what I mean uh, When I wrote my book I, I believed I was being helped by a higher power and some information helped yeah. me write the book, too. So uh, we just surprised. don't get it from our brains. We have help. Of course we do. That's, you know, really amazing.
3: Well, when I read, uh, you know, I got to the part, I think, where you were starting to talk about alcatraz, and before that you were saying, you know, I was originally planning on just writing a book about the experiences of my gift. I had no idea there would be all these ghost stories and how I hit bottom and so on. And the reality from me being the reader of your book was that I so he's had so many experiences that I can identify with. I can identify with losing your pride over hitting rock bottom. I didn't hit rock bottom, but I've had several times I've been out of work or other things. But, you know, I understand all this, you know. Um, I understand that just because he had psychic abilities, he didn't say, "Well, I'm just going to go and pick the lottery numbers or some other thing like this." He's as human as you and me, and you know, I, I was. It meant something to me to hear your experiences, the way that the Lord directed the writing of uh, the Spirit Garden. Well, thank you, and yes. I think it's
1: unethical. I'm not going to tell another person what to do, but for me, talking to myself, no, David, you're not going to uh, try and get the lottery numbers. If you want to play lottery numbers, and try and guess them, but don't turn on your psychic ability and try to get it that way. It's unethical. To me, that's not what the gift is for. It's to help others, you know. It's for help not gain something material, but to spiritually... Help another person, and that's why I never bothered to do that. I, you know, I already have, I'm already wealthy with the love that I have in my wife, with my wife and myself, and that great happiness we have. If anything else comes, and then it's, then I think it's meant to come from a higher power, if you know what I mean. That's what I believe.
3: I do, David. I, I hope the so- cell phone's not fading. Your voice did on my end. Okay, well, I can still hear
1: you very clearly. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to talk about?
3: Um, The last thing I would probably like to add is that uh, I have seen what Stan said to me last year about how many people this book would help. They have written me back both in the group and in personal messages and in the reviews on Amazon about, how much that this cleared up the doubts in their mind as mediums. Um, I haven't heard from one who is a psychic without being a medium, though, but the ones who are mediums have said, you know, I always had this thought in the back of my mind, am I really doing the devil's work, even though I think I'm doing the Lord's work? And they said it cleared up their doubts. They said, in fact, one of them named Diana had told me, she said, now I just speak what the Spirit gives me. I don't have the hesitation as a result, my readings have been confirmed as being more accurate as a result. Um, another one named Precious uh, had the gift all of her life, but it gave her the confidence to now start doing readings and knowing that God would have not given her this gift if he wasn't meaning for her to use it. We have a responsibility with our gifts. And I just, I just love these stories. It's saying, you know, I've always wondered... To help people, Stan and I started off in the early years of our marriage as 4H leaders, and then of course we became Sunday school teachers. And you know, so we've always had it in our heart to want to do something that is a permanent change in people's lives. Um, and it makes me feel very good that I was able to be the human instrument of the Holy Spirit to be able to make these kind of changes and uh, to have my wife be that big encouragement behind me to keep me going, to know that uh, this was definitely going to be worth its while. Um, that's all we can say, Davis.
1: I totally agree. Now, before I say something else, I wanted to listeners or whoever's in the chat room, if you'd like a copy of Kevin's book, which I highly recommend because I have a whole bookshelf of hundreds of books. I've been doing research in this area for years. And um, if you want a copy of this book, tell us in the chat room, Sherelle We'll know who you are, the first two people. And if you do, please give us your name and address in an email. And she she can write it there too. It's mediumdavidbaker at Medium, David Baker at Comcast dot net, Medium. David Baker at net, and we'll get the copies out to you. Now, Kevin, um, I wanted to have a review written on your book before you came on the show, but unfortunately, there's just so much going on. But I promise you that I will give you a wonderful review on Amazon. I give you my word because people have got to read your book. I'm even going to advertise it on Twitter and more on Facebook as well because you're, you know, now is the time, not 20 years ago, but right now I feel you were meant to release it at this particular time with the way everything is going. And uh, very timely, an amazing book. And I just know to say I'm stunned, but I'm definitely going to mail my uh, sister, who's also a medium, a copy of your book as a Christmas present. If she's listening, well... Spoiled to surprise. If not, <laughs> she'll be surprised.
3: David I also is listening. To add, too. Okay. okay. <laughs> that four weeks from today, November the tenth, I'm I'm going to be in Phoenix at the um Phoenix Psychic Fair, which is at the Crown Plaza North Hotel at uh, Peoria and I seventeen in Phoenix. Uh, Melanie will be there with me, but Anybody that's within range of Phoenix, Arizona is going to be in there around that date. I'd love to talk to them. Um, I will have books for sale, but if they want to bring their own copy, I'd be happy to autograph them, talk to them about it, or if they got any stories to share, I would love to meet, you know, people. But I wanted to make sure to get that in if anybody is within driving range of Phoenix, Arizona on the second weekend of the month.
1: Okay. You heard it, everybody. If you're close to Kevin, please do. In fact, if I was there, I was in Sedona back in 2009, but my friend moved to Southern California. Otherwise, I would go there to see it. But you know what I'd like to see from you, Kevin? And this is just a recommendation. Uh, I'd like to see you make just a short video talking about your book, putting it on your website, maybe Facebook. That's another way... Well, these days, people don't like to do all that reading. They just want to sit there and watch. And if you put on a video, they can sit there and watch, and you can tell in your own words about the book. That is just a suggestion. I don't know if you're open to that or not, but I think that's a, another good source of advertising your book.
3: Well, I'll put it this way. Um, I believe the Lord laid it on the heart of somebody who wants to get that video camera and do it for me um, maybe my son, it might be my wife, or it could be even somebody else that says, you know, the Lord is really wanting me to help you with doing a, vid- a short video, and I will help you put it together. So I would love to do that idea, but I also believe, too, that the Lord's going to bring that to me the same way that, as you said, the timing of this book has just been right um, for today that the Lord didn't give it to me. You know, twenty some years ago, or nor has he waited to give it to somebody. You know, five years in the future.
1: Agreed, agreed. Now, that event you're going to be at, are you going to be uh, giving a lecture about your book or something, or, or
3: are you just? Gonna I, I'm you not. Sign, I'm not signed for a lecture at the Phoenix Psychic Fair, but I will have a table there, and uh, I'd be happy to talk to people one on one, and if they got some question about it, uh, and of course. Uh, I'll sign the books there. Now they can meet Melanie, who, you know, we each helped each other in that way. She brought through my dad, and I wrote about her experiences. So we we kind of share these uh, experiences at the San pairs. Fairs.
1: Okay. That's good enough right there. At least they can meet you in person, get a copy of your book, and talk to you about it. Now, now that we've come this far, Kevin, do you have something next on your list to do, or are you just going to... Take a break for a while and get your book out. Any plans?
3: Well, I know that I think about a second book. My wife has been the one to say, when I asked her, I said, I wonder what's going to be the second book. She said, it's going to be answers to the questions people have had on the first book. And so, obviously, I'm going to be getting feedback, uh, perhaps from the show, perhaps from um, – the people who I meet at the fair or through my... I have a Facebook group that is named after the title of the book. I welcome questions there. But as I gather these, uh, that's probably where the second book is going to come from unless the Lord puts up the sign and says, no, your second book is going to be this. Well,
1: I feel that your wife, Stana, is very psychic. I think she already knew that there was going to be another book before you told of it yourself.
3: Do you believe that? It was a reality. Melanie told me three years ago. She says, I see you writing poor.
1: Well, there it is right there. <laughs> Isn't that great? Awesome. And look at that. It's been proven to you once again, you've written one fantastic book and you're gonna write another. And Lord knows to say what's gonna happen after that where is it going to take you? Well I wish you great success and even though the show was scheduled for two hours I did it specifically to give you a platform to say anything you wanted to do without running out of time because I just didn't feel one hour would be enough but now I believe that we're at the end of the show to be fair to our listeners thank you very much for listening Uh, I thank Jesus Christ our Savior and God I thank Kevin and his wife, Stanna, and everybody that affected his life to help him get this work out. Thank you all so much, and Kevin, thank you for coming on the show. My wife and I wish you the very best of blessings and success.
3: Thank you, David. Thank you, Sherelle. I really You're appreciate welcome. this again.
2: Thank you so much for being on the show with us.
1: Yes, and your lovely wife, too. It was so nice to meet here. You know, she's to us an angel she has she's just a wonderful person so thank you very much thank you everybody for listening to Beyond the Gate Radio and we see you on Facebook and Twitter and in the universe so good night God bless and be safe
3: good night
2: must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robin Hood
1: Financial LLC, member SIPC.